Take your Bibles today and open them up to Revelation chapter 21. And when you find Revelation 21, if you would mark that and then turn over in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to spend the bulk of our time today together in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. We're in a series called Drive, and today is the last sermon in it. I've been uh, honored to share that with Pastor Tom. But the reason for the Drive series is because all of us from time to time get off track in our walk with God. And just like the wheel of your car, if you take your hands off the steering wheel, your car will not continue in the lane. It will veer off one way or the other, and your life with God is the same way. And sometimes we wake up a week or a month or a year later, and we feel just completely disconnected from God. What do you do then? What do you do when you feel like you're just going through the motions here? Well, the, the, the wrong answer is just to work harder. Because that's not what God responds to. God responds to faith, not to work. Okay? Now, work is important. But God responds to faith. And so all around us, he has placed vehicles that are already headed toward heaven. And if we know where those vehicles are, then we can get into one of those vehicles and, and our connection with God returns. And so that's been the goal of this series is to help us find that reconnection with God if you feel disconnected. And so today we're going to be talking about heaven. I don't know what you think about heaven, but today we will challenge whatever you think about heaven with God's word. And, and I believe that our concept of heaven is going to be expanded tremendously. That's what the word of God comes to do for us. Uh, I remember right after I got saved, I got saved just before I was a freshman in college. And right after I got saved, I had started my freshman year of college and, and all the host of temptations that come there, temptations that you haven't seen before you get to college. And someone one day, some well-intentioned person who loved me, handed me a book called What is Hell Like? And so I remember being so excited to find out, you know, this place that I don't want to go, I'm going to now find out all about it. And so I go back to my dorm room, and I open up the book, and chapter one is this, how long will hell last? And I began reading how long hell would last? And the author gave a series of analogies. The only one I remember is this. Imagine an ant walking around the equator of the earth. And he walks all the way around and keeps walking. And he keeps walking so often around the earth until, the, until there's a small crevice that builds. And the crevice becomes an inch deep. And the more he walks, a foot deep, and then 10 feet deep, and then a mile deep, until finally the ant walks so much that the earth just falls into two. He says, this is how long the first day of hell will last. And I thought to myself, you know, finishing this book likely would be just like the first day of hell for me. <laughs> I'm not planning on reading any more about this. The goal is to avoid there, right? Do you realize though, that the word of God gives us a whole lot stronger motivation. And that motivation is heaven. Colossians 3 verse 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him 
in glory. Now, the Bible says a lot about heaven. And the dominant position the Bible takes about heaven is not to threaten about, about heaven is not to threaten us with missing it, but the sheer excitement that the Word of God wants to impart to us about going there. And so today, if you feel disconnected in your walk with God, God has given as a vehicle our anticipation of what is to come as one of the primary things that will reconnect us to Him. You know, heaven is a real place. It's not a state of being. It's not some esoteric concept. It's a real place. Someone once mentioned to me, you know, it seems a little morbid to think about it. I would say this to you. For every person who thinks too much about heaven, there's a million who don't think enough about it. Paul said this in Philippians 1. He says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Now, God wants us to think accurately about heaven. But I believe there's two ways we miss it. One is by escapism, and the other is by saturation. There are two ditches on the side of this road. Escapism says, my life is so bad, I just want out. And, and the truth is, almost anything other than what you have now will do. A trip to Disneyland will solve that for you this weekend. The other is saturation. And I've had people tell me before, you know, I love the earth so much, I just don't want anything to change. You know, both of these represent suffering. One with a frown, the other with a smile. Because both are off of God's intended purpose. Now, I don't know what you think heaven's going to be like. Most of our notions about heaven, frankly, do not come from Scripture. That we'll be disembodied spirits, that we'll be floating by on clouds. It's not at all what the Bible says. And today, I want us to look together at one of the primary places in Scripture that talks about what will unfold for you and me. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
And not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. I want to make sure you understand that when verse 18 talks about the suffering that we go through, he's not talking about persecution. He's not talking about suffering for Jesus. He's talking about suffering with Jesus. And what that means is that there is a, a heavenly skill about knowing how to invite Jesus in to whatever situation you face that, that you know is not exactly what God has for you. Some difficulty or some, some point of suffering. And the primary thing in this text is to set your heart on heaven. And so I want to give you six things right out of Romans 8. We're going to go verse by verse through this chapter today. Romans 8, the first thing I want to tell you that heaven promises to us is this, from verse 18, is that glory will be revealed in you. Here's what verse 18 says. For I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now there's the contrast we're after. Compare your present sufferings, whatever those are, whatever it is you're going through right now. Compare that with what lies ahead of you. And Paul says, you can't even put those two things in the same sentence together. Those two things cannot even be compared. Let me tell you the difference between grief and despair. Grief is when we lose something and it hurts. But we still have other things around us to give us comfort. Despair is when we lose the ultimate thing. The one thing on earth that makes life work. You lose that, you have reason to despair. Let me tell you, for all those who have named Jesus as Lord, you never have reason to despair because God is the only ultimate. He is the only ultimate and you will never lose him. And so when we suffer loss, know this, is that there's something on the inside of you that's waiting to be revealed. You know, when God made you, he created you in his own image. And when he made you in his image, that means that you're this, you, you become like a magnet for holy things. And so on the inside of you right now is the Holy Spirit. The word of God is inside of you. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is within you. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has set eternity in your heart. And so here's what that means is that in this container this temporary container that God has placed a recipe of something from another place. A recipe of something that won't wear out. 
and something that'll never go away. And the apostle Paul would say, that's the glory that right now is on the inside of you. It's glory. And God is excited that someday he's going to expose that for everybody. Glory is waiting to be revealed inside of you. This word for glory comes from the Greek word meaning to think. Here's what glory is. Glory is the honor resulting from a good opinion. Glory is the honor resulting from a good opinion. You know right now God has a good opinion of you? And his really is the only opinion that matters. Glory is the image of God grown up into fullness. And someday, God will show you off. That's what verse 18 means. Here's the second thing. comes from verse 19. Is that creation is waiting for you to be revealed. Verse 19 says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Now, don't confuse this with verse 18. Verse 18 says that glory will be revealed in you. Verse 19 says that creation waits for you to be revealed. There's a difference there. Right now, you realize there is some evidence that you and I are children of God. There is also some evidence to the contrary. You realize that. But right now, we are looking forward to the day when there will be no more question that we are children of God. And a lot of times when we suffer, the enemy of our soul comes in behind us and he says, you know, God's real children, they don't suffer like this. This thing you're going through, real children of God don't go through stuff like this. You're a fake and you're a fraud. And it takes real faith to fight that off. But someday God will prop you up in front of in front of all the redeemed of the ages. He will prop you up. And he will say, This is my daughter. Wow, let me tell you what she went through on the earth and the faith that she exercised in the face of tremendous difficulty. Wow, this is my daughter. Creation waits for you to be revealed. And God will someday show you off. Here's the third thing comes from verse 20, is that there is reason to hope today. Verse 20 says this, for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Now, this word, creation was subjected to frustration. This word for frustration, some of your Bibles say futility. It comes from the Greek word meaning empty. Here's what it means, is that creation was subjected to emptiness. By whom? By God. Here's what this means, is that there is nothing that's ever been created that has the ability to deeply satisfy you on the inside, nothing. The only thing that can satisfy you in in your heart of hearts is the Lord your God. And God created everything else on the earth 
that's empty in terms of its ability to satisfy you. And so people go around their, their entire lives thinking, you know, if I just had that job, or if I just had that amount of money, or if I had that new house, or if I had that new car, or if I had that much power, then I'd be happy. And you realize the people that get those very things in short order say this, you know, it just didn't offer all that I thought it would. Can I just tell you why today? Because God created it that way. God made it to fail. Everything that's ever been created was created to fail without God. It is empty in terms of its ability to satisfy you. But, but here's, here's what Romans 8 tells us. The reason God made it that way is to produce hope on the inside of us. That I've looked everywhere I can look to find something that has some depth and some richness and some quality and some, some weight to it and I can't find anything. And God said, I made it that way. And the reason I made it that way is because I want you to hope for something better. That's what hope means. Hope means to anticipate with pleasure. And hope is based on knowledge. This is not like, gee, I hope I get a thousand bucks for Christmas. Hope is based on knowledge of something that you've not seen yet. About a year ago, my wife Lexa was out one morning and she was uh, out running some errands and she had our youngest daughter, Brielle. In fact, Brielle's sitting right here. I don't know if we can get a camera on Brielle. Brielle, can you give us a wave? Can you wave at daddy? I don't know, can y'all see her? There she is. They were out running some errands and, and Brielle was three at the time. And so they stopped by Starbucks. And, and uh, so they walk in, Lexa orders her typical $20 high maintenance drink while the line forms out the door. Waiting, that's another story. So she gets, she gets, Lex, she gets uh, Brielle this little hot chocolate drink. And so they're waiting, and Brielle is dressed in pink, just like she is today, different dress, but she's dressed all in pink. It's an outfit. Shoes, dress, matches, everything that works. And so their drinks come up, and, and Lexa hands Brielle this little chocolate drink. And she, she takes the first drink, and the whole thing spills all the way down this dress, onto her shoes. And it's an E.F. Hutton moment, if ever there was one. And the whole restaurant, the whole Starbucks turned and, and was looking at this, this picture of this doll dressed in pink, now covered in chocolate, and Brielle realized that she had a captivated audience. <laughs> and she says, that's okay, I'm still beautiful. <laughs> Isn't that good? Let me tell you something. That's hope. There's no doubt in her mind that her beauty comes from another place. And it's based on knowledge, not I wonder if this is true or not. Can I just tell you right now that your glory and your beauty comes from another place? And, and right now, presently, you are invited into the knowledge 
that God sees you as glorious and beautiful today regardless of what's been spilled on you. Your beauty comes from another place. Here's the fourth thing. It comes from, from verse 21, is that there will be freedom from misery. That's what heaven promises to us. Verse 21 says this, and I want to grab the last two words from verse 20. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Now, we are well acquainted with the result of Adam's sin. And we're well acquainted with the effects of the fall of man in Genesis 3 on humanity. But do you realize that the fall of man in Genesis 3 affected not just people? It affected everything created. It affects the earth. That's how devastating sin is. There's a U.S. geological survey a couple of years ago. They, they posted this recently, but they began a, a, a research project to find out how many earthquakes have there been in, in recorded history that registered 7.0 and above on the Richter scale. And here's what they found. That from the time of Jesus to the end of the year 18, of the end of the 1800s, there were 11 such earthquakes. In the next 100 years, in the 1900s, there were 10 more. In 2008, there were 12. And in 2009, there were 16. You need to understand right now that the earth is groaning. And Jesus and Paul both said, just like birth pains, that's what birth pains do. They get, they get a little bit closer together and a little bit more intense until finally there's a new birth. But creation itself will someday be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. You realize this is why there is decay and bondage even in the planet is because of sin. I don't think we understand yet how devastating sin is. These things were released into the planet when Adam and Eve sinned. And one day, creation will be freed from its misery and presented to you. Here's the fifth thing, and it comes from verse 22, is that present sufferings really are birth pains. Verse 22 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, there, there are three groanings in this text. The first one is in verse 22, and it says, all of creation groans. All of creation. Now, I don't know what, what all that would include. Certainly the earth and the sea and the weather. Verse 23, he talks about people people grown. Specifically, saved people. Here's what he says. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. The, re the rest is already redeemed. Your spirit is already redeemed. In fact, Ephesians 2.8 says, right now you are seated in heavenly places with the Lord Jesus. That's your spirit. Your soul is being redeemed and your body at some point will be redeemed. Verse 26 says the Holy Spirit groans. It's one of the ways that we pray because we don't know what to pray for. 
And so Paul looks at all of this. Everything in creation that causes people to groan, earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, cancer, divorce, Alzheimer, and he says, you know what? That's like a mom in labor to me. That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a mom in labor. I heard about a guy a couple of years ago whose doctor came in, gave him a devastating future. In fact, pronounced him to be terminal. The doctor left the room, left the family alone there together, and his family turned to him and said, so how you doing? Are you afraid? And he said, he smiled and he said, afraid? He said, I cannot be threatened with heaven. I love that response. Because either way, my friend, you win. We believe in healing because we've seen it. But sometimes we cheapen heaven by the ways we grieve over what happens on the earth. And friends, you can't even hold the two in the same sentence together, Paul says. You know, if you're at the hospital and you hear someone cry out in pain, it makes a big difference whether you're in the oncology hall or the maternity hall. Because one means there's death and the other means there's life. And once you've given your life to Jesus, you're in the maternity hall forever. And everything you go through is birth pains. Because God is going somewhere good with all this. It's painful, you can be sure, but it's leading to life and it's not leading to death. Here's the sixth thing, and it comes from verse 23, is that suffering will be swallowed up in victory. Here's what verse 23 says. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for, the, for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We need to understand this. God cares about your body. The Bible says it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And God cares what happens to your body. And that's why he is making provision to redeem your body. Now, now sometimes this is, we don't have a good understanding of what this means. But I want to be real clear with you. After Jesus was resurrected, he walked around on the earth for a little while. And his closest friends could not tell any difference between the resurrected Jesus and what he was like before. He got hungry, and he ate, and he laughed, and he talked, and he could walk through a wall. And that's what a glorified body is like. And someday your body will be glorified and it won't get sick anymore and it won't get weak anymore. But it's, it's going to be similar to the body that you have right now except better. Now we're all familiar with the sufferings of Job. I want you to listen carefully to what Job said. Job 19 verse 25. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand up up on the earth. Now watch verse 26 carefully. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. In other words, this won't be hearsay for me. 
I'm not going to have to rely on the words of somebody else who said, I just saw the Lord because I will see him myself. This is what Job's saying. And then he says this, how my heart yearns within me. And friends, if you will give some time to thinking about what lies in your future, the things that God is excited to unfold in your life, there, there will be a reconnection and your heart will begin to yearn within you. I want you to realize that most of the earth missed Jesus the first time he came. But no one will miss him when he returns. And when he will t- returns, he will come back with a glorified body. And he will bring your home in heaven. And he will enact justice for all the times that, that, that people have acted unjustly toward you and gotten away with it. There will be justice for you. Revelation 21 talks about that day. Here's what John saw that day. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, verse 1. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And he who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to address specifically, as we end our time this morning, two groups of people. Because doubtless in a crowd this size, there are those today, and you'd say, if you were honest, you'd say this, you know, pastor, if, if I died today, I'm not real sure where I'd go. And you need to understand that God doesn't come today to threaten you with the thought of missing heaven. God comes today to offer to you the greatest life that you could ever imagine and in fact the very created purpose for which you were put on the earth. It's offered to you today. And so I'm not talking today about pain avoidance. I'm talking about what you were made for. The things that God most desires from your life. And so today, if you would say, you know, I'm not sure about that, then I want to invite you right now. You just open your heart and you pray a prayer similar to this one. God, I confess today that I'm a sinner and I have no way to you except through Jesus Christ. I confess that I've tried everything I know to be happy. 
nothing's worked. So God, I come to you today and I give you my life. And I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Now I want you to leave your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to address another group of people. And that group of people are those of you today who are broken hearted. You're broken hearted because you feel disconnected from God. And the reason you're broken hearted is because you have set your sight on things on the earth. And you have found them to be completely empty. And you have tried your hardest to draw life from those things. And there's no life inside of them. And you found that today to be true. Now you know why. And so today the Lord extends a hand of mercy to you. And he says to you today, if you'll come home, I'll take you right now. My grace is sufficient for you. So today, if you need prayer, in just a moment, I'm going to pray. When I pray, after I pray, we're going to stand up. And there will be people that we know and love that come down to the altar to pray for you. And you won't be interrupting me if you come. As soon as as we finish praying, you just step out in the aisle and you come. If we can resource you or or be a source of ministry to pray for you today, it would be our honor to do so. God, thank you today for the ways that you are so patient with us while we search for life everywhere we can find it. And then you always receive us back as children coming back home. God, it's our joy today to come back home. Thank you for your love toward us. In Jesus' name, amen.